Now I'm not the announcement guy anymore. Now I'm the pastor guy. So if you want to pull your Bible out and go to the book of James, because we are winding down. We have today and we have next week in the book of James. And then it's over in the book of James and we are headed to Bethlehem. Okay, and that's what we're going to do. But I want to take you into the book of James because here is just something that's been on my heart for a little bit. And I'm trying to figure out how to preach it. It's one of those odd scriptures until the Holy Spirit just said, hey, this is what we're going to do. And this is how it's going to happen. If you were here last week, um, you had the opportunity to um, witness that a couple of people came forward and got saved right in this spot right here. Um, they surrendered their life to Jesus, and they're looking forward to baptism as it's coming up, and that was a wonderful thing. If you weren't here, but you're still there, and you still think, you know, you need to be there instead of here, I want to encourage you. It's time to leave the house. It's time to come to church. It's time to get back together. It's time for us to have fun together. Uh, but the long and the short of it is, that's what we're here for. We're here to see people surrender their life to Jesus, and something was going on and it was absolutely wonderful and we were so excited and, and and literally they just came up here and it's like they were ready it was time to surrender their life to Jesus and they did and we were so excited we were so excited we were so excited that we were just pretty much like you are right now yeah we're so oh it was so exciting Pastor Joe I remember they came forward and saying all of heaven must be jumping up and down but not us you know but it's, but it's okay because no I'm, I'm just kidding but you know we get to the place where people surrendering their life to Jesus is normal and it's kind of just like yeah it happens at church that's what's supposed to go on and we forget to be excited that people surrendered their life to Jesus Jesus said in the book of Luke, he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents rather than 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And what's he saying about people that don't need to repent? He's talking about the idea that this person needs Jesus and this person has Jesus. He's not saying anybody's perfect. He's just saying that as, as we get saved, we're like part of the flock and we're like, yeah, that's all good. And sometimes we get down the road and it gets so normal that we forget that, man, somebody just escaped hell, escaped the enemy, escaped sin, and was born again into the family of God. And what a great thing that is, and it's so exciting. This uh, passage that, uh, of the 99 and the 1 comes in the midst of the three parables about, uh, parables about how God sees lost people. He longs for them. He hungers for them. As a matter of fact, as much as I'm going to talk to you about the word contentment or content, God is so discontent with the number of people in heaven right now that the only thing he's interested in is one more. He wants one more. That's what God wants, one more. He will leave the 99 for one more. He will look for one more. That's all God wants. He's like, there's going to be one more. And we can wrestle with the, he already knows, he doesn't know, he's looking for it, we should look for it. It doesn't matter. That's what he is after is one more. Because there is nothing greater going on in heaven than heaven seeing one more come home one more embrace the teachings the forgiveness the grace the mercy of God Almighty I don't know if you know it or not that people watch these services that we do online we put them online some of you are online um, I've already chided you a little bit that it's time to come back to church but all things said and done most churches have an online streaming um, service that people can watch um, and and as we were um, celebrating the two salvation experiences in the second service that were going on um, unbeknownst to us there was a lady that's been watching us a student that's been watching us um, for a, a, a while um, that surrendered her life to Jesus so when we got home 
home to the house, Pastor Janice looked in, in her mailbox and there was an email from a lady that said, hey, I've been watching online. I, um, in the midst of everything going on, need to surrender my life to Jesus. Um, and so I did and, and I want to talk to somebody. And so Pastor Janice got to have a call with her, a uh, phone call with her on Tuesday. And sure enough, she surrendered her life to Jesus. And she's been, like she said, watching church online, um, various things, but just came to that place where she needs Jesus. And she recognized, if that's for me, tell them I'm busy, but if it's God, I will take it. I'm just saying, if it is, just let me know. Um, but that being said, um, but we recognize that, that God is moving, and God is moving in, in a myriad of ways, and, and that's exciting because um, you begin to wonder, what is it that just stirs our soul? And I am convinced that the thing that stirs our soul that makes us hungry is God. God is the one that gives us a bit of a discontent. We feel like, God, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more going on. There's got to be something. And the Holy Spirit begins to work inside of us, and we begin to say, yes, I need more of that. Someone once said that the God factor in our soul is trying to reconnect with the only thing that fits there, and that's our Father in heaven. We got this big hole in our heart as human beings, and it's a metaphorical hole, please, Lord. Um, but we try to stuff uh, money. We try to stuff power. We, we try to stuff sex. We try to stuff things. We try to stuff education. We, we try to uh, stuff influence. We try to stuff popularity. We keep jamming stuff inside of that hole, and the only thing that fits in that hole is God. And it's that hunger that God sowed in our hearts that reminds us that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And the only way to fill that is with eternity. And I love that. That longing reveals itself as what I call a holy discontentment. It's that something in your soul when you start to cry and you know why. You know, it used to be a fairly normal thing in this church. We planted this church in 2009, and it used to be a fairly normal thing probably for the first 10 years of this church's existence. The service would end. Everybody would exit that door, and there would always be a couple of people in here, like two over here, three over there, whatever. One time there was a college student in here, and her parents had been through a vicious divorce and, and lived in different areas, and they both wanted to come see her on uh, college day or parent day or whatever you call that. And so she said, the only thing I want you to do is come to church with me. And so they came. I was raised Catholic, and these were Catholic people, but this girl was going to church here. And when the service was all over and everybody left, left they were sitting in that area right there going, and, and Pastor Janice came in and said, hey, can I ask, are you guys okay? And they said, what just happened? Why are we crying? These grown adult people with a grown adult daughter. And they're saying, why are we crying in here? And she said, it's just simply the person of God and his Holy Spirit moving in your lives. You ever been there where you sang a hymn, you sang a song, um, and then you just started crying? It was just, you, you could sing the song all day, but you got to that one line, and that line hits, and all of a sudden you're crying. And you're like, why am I crying? It's because there's a discontent in you that says, I want this line. I want this God. I want this Holy Spirit. More than that, I want this eternity and it's not here yet. We're still here on earth. And that's important. It happens often for me. We do a run-through in the morning. Um, we get here, 745. We do kind of a talk-through. And then we do a walk-through. And I'll be sitting over there um, listening to the worship team go through it. And all of a sudden, they'll hit a song. And for whatever reason, I, just, I start crying. I start crying. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, yeah, Pastor Joe, but you're always crying. You're right. You're right. I, I sat with my granddaughter the other day. We were watching a little bit of a television, and a commercial came on. And all of a sudden, I was like reaching for my, my face. And she goes, are you going to cry? Grandpa, it's a commercial. 
And I said, I know, but look, they came home and they're having family time and it's just great. She's like, oh, Grandpa, oh, Grandpa. You know, it just hits that way. And I believe it's because God keeps scratching our hearts saying there is more to life than this world. Not just this world without God, but there is more to life than this world. And our hearts hunger for that. What about your life right now? If you could change anything in your life, what would it be? What would you change in your life right now? You're like, well, I'd give myself $7 billion. Listen, $7 billion would not make you happy if you're not happy now. If you haven't learned to be content, say, yeah, but I'd like to try it. I, I would too. I'm not going to lie. I would like to just give it a shot. Okay, But I do believe that. And this is how you can really see that is because we become discontent with what we've got and then we get more and after a little while we become discontent with what we've got and so we get more. You don't believe me? Look at the size of the houses they're building in Madison County right now. I heard somebody say the other day there's a house in Madison County being built 7,000 square feet. I don't want to clean 7,000 square feet. I don't want to find my wife in 7,000. I wouldn't see her for a week. And I don't like to not see her for a weekend when she went on the ladies' retreat. I was pitiful. I just had to do everything I could not to express myself and be pitiful. I had to say, you're doing great work down there in Gatlinburg. Do it. I, I don't want that much. But for whatever it is inside of us, we think that more is better. What would you change if you could change anything? Or the life you're living now, is it more than you dreamed of? Or is it less than you dreamed of? Is it possible, is it possible for you to be content right now in your job, in your relationship, in your church, with your finances, whatever it is, is it possible for you to stop and say, yes, I'm content with this right here and that will do. I want to take you to the book of James, finally, right? I want to take you to the book of James. I like to kind of get to here first and then do all the stuff I did, but it's a weird day. And I want to take you to the book of James in chapter 1. We're backing up just a little bit. I'm going to begin at verse 9. And this is James, the brother of Jesus, not James, the brother of John. So James, the brother of Jesus, who believes that Jesus really is the Son of God, okay, has written a letter to the 12 tribes of people who are Jewish and yet have become believers, and we know that from looking at the scripture. We talked about that in a couple of the weeks that have gone before. But he, he begins talking about trials and temptations. And then he comes to this place in verse 9 and he says, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. You might be poor, but you have just become a child of God Almighty. See? And then he goes on and says, But the one who is rich ought to take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. What he's saying is you are a child of God and to some degree, you need to realize that you're no better than anybody else because of what you've got. And he's not being ugly. He's just saying the, the ground at the feet of Jesus is level for all of us. All of us. We stand there level. So he goes on to say, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossom, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised for those who love him. You don't have to put blessed is a man who, who perseveres if hard times aren't coming to Christian people. See? So we recognize it's not all sugar and marshmallows and roses and sunshine. 
Some of it requires persevering. All right? And then he goes on and says, When tempted, nobody should say, God has tempted me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when, check this out, write this down, by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the kind uh, excuse me through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits from all that he created and there is, there is James just kind of telling us just a little tiny bit look i need you guys to be content he said, I just want to encourage you to be content. If you're rich, be content that you're no better than anybody else. If you're poor, be content that you're not worth less than anybody else. He says, be content in the circumstance in which you find yourself. It's going to be a good thing. And he says another, a number of other things. He, want, he wants you to know that the devil cannot make you do anything. I am somebody who believes with all of my heart that the devil himself cannot um, live inside of a human being that has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ and is full of the Holy Spirit. So when people say, well, how do I know that I'm not you know, being possessed a little bit? It's like, you can't be. The, the Holy Spirit, who is God Almighty, the Holy Spirit, who is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, okay, the Holy Spirit is not going to share residency with hell. He's just not going to do it. Okay? And so we can be encouraged in that. Therefore, the only thing that can happen is the devil can do the same thing to you that he did to Eve. He can come and metaphorically sit on your shoulder and whisper in your ear and just begin to sow doubt into your life. He can begin to sow discontent into your life because that's what he did to Eve. He sowed discontent. They're in the garden. Things are going great. Everything's wonderful. God comes in the cool of the evening, walks with them, talks with them. They have a wonderful relationship with them. And then the devil shows up and sits on his, his, his uh, her shoulder and says, Eve, really? You know why God doesn't want you to eat that fruit? Because then you'll become like him. And he does not want you to be like him. I'm being a little bit loose there. But he's sowing discontent. He is just trying to create a little bit of doubt. And when a little bit of doubt in your relationship to Jesus Christ begins to get inside and hook, it will, the scripture says, you will let it draw you away. It will become an evil desire that you let entice you away. When it entices you away, it will give birth to sin. And when that sin begins to grow up inside of your life and begin to take over, you'll turn your back on God. And it will eventually, in the scripture would say, it will eventually kill you. But I believe that inside of you, inside of me, sometimes the enemy just reaches in and creates a discontent. You and I, I believe, are called to be contented, contented, and we're going to talk about this just a little bit, but to be content with where we are with God. And could I ask you, could I ask you, are you content? Are you content in your relationships, your marriage? Are you content with your children? Are you content with your income? Are you content with your classmates? Are you content with your church? Are you content? Are you content with your relationship to God? Are you content? Because a lot of times we aren't, because we are a people that is always listening to bigger is better, more is better, I should compare myself to them. How come they get to have this and I don't? How come they have? You know, that's why Paul wrote Galatians chapter 6. I believe, I believe it's in verse 4 where he says, you need to stop comparing yourself to the people that are around you. You need to look at what God is doing in your life and you need to, to shoulder your fair share of the load. Okay, that's my paraphrase of he, uh, excuse me, Galatians 6, 4. 
we are each one supposed to not compare ourselves to other people. But for whatever reason, we do compare ourselves to other people. We look around and we say, they're prettier than me. They're smaller than me. They're bigger than me. They're more athletic than me. They're less athletic than me. I can't fit in. I'll never get this. How come they get the job? How come they get the income? How come this never happens for me? How come they've got kids? How come they've got a spouse? How come they... We're always discontent. And we're looking around. And this is what's going on. And I see it in workplace, too, when I used to be in the workplace. I would encourage you that if you've got a job somewhere, your boss pulled you into his office, okay, before you started work and said, this is what we're looking for, and you filled out an application, and you're like, man, I want this job. I'll be the best at this job. I'll be the best employee. Nobody's going to do it better than me. Let me have this job. Let me do this thing. And the boss said, you get the job. And you got up and did a happy dance, a Snoopy's happy dance, right there in front of the guy. You did that, okay? And you're doing your happy dance, and you got this job, and you're so excited. And you went out, and you told your spouse, your friends, whatever, you got the job. You came back to your first day of week, uh, work, and you started your work week, and it was wonderful. And four months in, maybe a year in, and you were like, huh, <sighs> how come I'm the only one working around here? Nobody else works. And then you begin to say things like, well, if they're not going to work, why do I have to work? If they're not going to work, I'm not going to work. That's not the deal you made with the man that hired you. You made a deal with the man that hired you that you would come in and you would put this wheel on that car and put these five lug nuts on and you would do this all day for, I don't know, $50 an hour, okay? That's, I'm just making stuff up. But, but you would do it. And then suddenly you're going, I'm working harder than everybody else. How come I'm not making $51 an hour? You're discontent. You know why? Because you're comparing yourself to other people. You forgot that the job that you have right now is the very one that you are praying for. And God gave it to you. And now you're like, well, who does God think he is? He, they don't have, I have to do their job too. You know, we lie to ourselves. I'm the only one that's working in this place. I've told myself that before. Not about church. But I've told myself that before when I worked for Kodak. How come I'm the only one in this clean room working? It's like, was not the only one in the clean room working. Somebody turned the lights on before I got there. Isn't it crazy? But we compare ourselves to other people and we become discontent. And then we become angry and bitter. And then we shake our fist at God because everything is not going the way that we thought it should go. The word content means pleased with your situation. And I would take issue with this next part, not hoping for change or improvement. I would believe the exact opposite. I would believe that you can be satisfied with your present situation as you dream. And I don't think you should ever stop dreaming. Ever. But I do believe that it is entirely possible for me to be very content with my salary. I don't need more. I really don't. I could be satisfied. If the economy would stay the same, I could stay at this salary for the rest of my life. And I'm, I'm happy. I don't just need more, 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 more. I don't. So what would I do? What would I do? Paul tells Timothy this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. People will look for schemes. People will look for opportunities. People will gamble as much as they possibly can. They'll do whatever it takes to get more, 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 and still look me in the eye and say, Jesus is first in my life. All the while that money is, and I'm not here to beat anybody up. I believe that rich people can go to heaven too. I really do. 
But I'm just saying that when my focus becomes making more, getting more, having more, then I've got to stop and look at me. I don't need another dog. I don't need another car. I don't need a bigger house. I do, I do need more land. But no, I don't need more land. Okay, I, I, I don't. I can be content if I'll take my eyes off of what's going on around me and remember that the job I have is the one that I was praying for. The income I have is the one I was hoping for. The children I have are the blessings in my life. The grandchildren in my life I never dreamed of because I couldn't conceive that. I couldn't. If there was a way to bypass children, I might do it. Might. And just go straight to grandkids. But you can't. It has, there's an order to things. Godly order. But grandkids will always have my kids saying, you never did that for us. And it's like, yep. And it's not going to slow me down doing it for your kids. <laughs> I love them. I can be content. How much stuff do you have right now that you prayed for that's collecting dust? When my wife and I moved from western Oklahoma, we put everything that we owned, five kids, one just graduated high school when we moved, 2003, put all the stuff we owned in a 2,700-square-foot uh, house into two trailers. One was 20-foot long, one was 24-foot, box trailers, okay, and brought it to Kentucky. Just, that's what we did. Just moved lock, stock, and barrel, 1,043 miles, five kids, no job, not to worry. Church that I was coming out here to help only had 50 people going to it, but we grow it up, and I'd get a job at Pizza Hut. Doesn't, doesn't scare me. The Lord says, go, you go. You just do it. And it was a great adventure. It's exciting. But when we filled those two box trailers, there was stuff in the house. And I began to look at that stuff in the house, and I thought, huh, I haven't seen that in 10 years since I put it in the basement. I've been heating and cooling that stuff for 10 years. That, some of that stuff, I prayed to God, God, could you please just let me have one of that? You have some of that stuff too, don't you? You're like, you're, you're finicky. You're like, oh God, can I please have one of these? And you get one and you play with it for a week or two and then you put it on a shelf and you never play with it again. And, and honestly, sometimes I wonder, God, why did you let me have it? God said, well, you asked for it. You prayed and prayed and prayed for it. And now it's just collecting dust. And some of our lives are like that. We live a life where we're chasing after God and we're just grabbing for everything that we possibly can and the stuff around us and spiritually is just collecting dust and we forgot to let it be a part of our lives and we're just trying to get more and more and more and more because we're not content. And so Paul tells the, the Hebrew people, he says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, do not be, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals uh, do to me? And he's saying, hey, just be satisfied with your lot. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced of this. It is entirely possible to live thankfully for my present circumstance all while chasing a dream. And the challenge will always be to put God first. I believe that I can be content with where I am. I really do. Paul said he was content whether he had much or little. And he was content in all circumstances. And remember, Paul got taken out, out, out of the city and stoned to death. They thought they killed him. And then he got back up and walked back into the city the next day. See? But he was content because his life was about doing what God wanted him to do in the circumstance that he found himself. So whether he was in prison, he was content. Whether he was being stoned to death, whether there was adversity, you can be content even though there's adversity in your life. And you don't have to like the adversity. 
You just have to know that God is going to get you through the adversity. You've got to trust that. But you can know and you can go through without spazzing and say, the Lord will get us through this. What can I learn, God? And how can I move forward? Because I'm going to find a way to be content in the midst of this adversity. How am I going to do that? Living my life to the fullest for God means embracing opportunities. There are opportunities in your life every day at school, at work, at play, in your relationship. You face opportunities every single day. And if you embrace those opportunities in gratitude, not fear. You don't have to be afraid of opportunities. An opportunity presents itself and we, sometimes we're scared, we run, we don't want the unknown. So we cling to what we've got all the while being discontent. Okay, because that takes us to the next thing. You can act upon those opportunities, but that means you're going to need to take a risk. And I believe that Christianity is all about risk. Get out of the boat, sell everything you've got, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Um, take these five fish and these, or two lo- these five loaves and these two fish and go feed 10,000 people. It's always about taking a risk. Are you willing to live the risk or are you only willing to live the rationality? Well, this makes good sense. Let's talk about a word for a second. You know what the word steward means? Being a good steward. You know what the word steward means? It has nothing to do with getting the most for your money. Absolutely nothing. That's a lie that's told by people that want you to save their money or let them invest your money. That is not what steward means. Steward simply means, at the base root, you don't own it and somebody has put it in your charge. That's all it means. And you have an obligation, based upon your relationship with them, to do with what they put in your charge what they say, not what you think is best. Ergo, when Jesus tells the young man, sell everything you've got, give to the poor, and come and follow me, that's better advice than you'll ever get from Dave Ramsey. You know why? Because all of that 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 guy owns belongs to God, not him. Every good gift comes down from the Father of life. So if God says, sell it all, give to the poor, and come and follow me, do it. He can give it back to you. He can put it back. But it's not yours. He put you in charge of it to do what he asks you to do. So our first focus is the gospel of God's love and contentment in my here and now. Are you content in your here and now? So number one, I'm content in my present position and I dream of opportunities personally of growing the kingdom of God. You're allowed to have dreams. Please don't ever not have dreams. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Clothing, food, and shelter. God said, if you're chasing after me, I'm going to put you first. If you're chasing after money but saying you're chasing after me, then all bets are off, so to speak. Okay? So wherever that. Paul says it this way. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Paul says, I'm not telling you to give because I'm in need. I'm telling you right now, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know, Paul says, what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I want you to know that I can relate to that. 
But the idea is, can, can you be content in that? There was a time that I had five kids. Um, two were just born. I was going to Bible college. I was uh, 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 30 years old, going to Bible college. I had a stay-at-home wife um, who was with the kids and had just given birth. And we had like little to no money, but we were getting by. God was taking care of it. We didn't care. We had each other. And the only thing that we could do for date night was that we would hop on the motorcycle and we would ride 28 miles down to something called T. TGI Fridays just had opened in Dayton, uh, the Dayton Mall. We would get, we could afford the iced tea, but the chips were free. And so we would sit for two hours over chips and iced tea, and I always wanted to leave a tip, because I believe that, always leave a bigger tip than heathens, okay? I'm really tired of hearing people who work in the food, food service say they hate Christian people. How about you make them love Christian people because the money's not yours? It's the Lord's. Give it away. And watch what he does. But anyway, we would go to TGI Fridays, and we would have chips and tea for two hours, and then we'd hop back on a motorcycle and go back home. And it was wonderful. And I was perfectly content. I didn't need more. I had her. I had them. We had chips. The tea was pretty good. I was a happy guy. Now, I can call her up right now, and I can say, hey, do you want to go to Ruth Christ's? Is that a place? Yeah, right. Ruth's. Oh, Jeff Ruby's the other one. Yeah, Jeff Ruby's or Ruth. I can say, do you want to really go out and blow the budget? And we can do it. We can do it. And I'm still content. Because whether I am in need, I'm finding the joy and learning the lessons of being in that situation. And whether I um, have plenty, I'm enjoying the lessons and learning them and being content. And then I'm trying to find out who else we can bless. So I've learned in the present situation what's the opportunities for the growth of the kingdom of God. And Paul says, whether I have plenty or whether I have want, I have learned to be content. And that's where I want to live. And remember, this is the same, God, uh, the same Paul that was not content with preaching the gospel in Turkey, in um, Greece, in um, Syria, in Jerusalem, in where all the places that he went. He said, I'm not content doing this. And that's my word. But he said, I want to go to Rome and preach the gospel to Caesar himself. He was not content. And the point is, he was content in all things except that he still had a dream. And he wanted to see God make that dream happen. And he was looking forward to it. So I've learned and I believe that being content in my position as I dream of opportunities for growing the kingdom of God, that's number one. Can I be content where I am right now? If I'm discontent, I'm probably spending too much money. I'm probably wasting my opportunities to share the gospel at work. I'm probably got everybody at work sick and tired of me, and I need to change jobs, you know, because that's probably an easier start over, but we're there. Paul dreamed of preaching the gospel. Embrace your present opportunities. What are they? Classrooms, organizations, workplaces, families, children's sports, what are your present opportunities that you could begin to enjoy and yet give somebody an invitation to, to church? Number two, I know that my discontent has a lot to do with God calling me up. I believe that there's a reason that the disciples, when Jesus walked by, and they had caught the biggest catch of fish that they had ever caught in their whole lives, and their boats began to sink, and Jesus walked up and said, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they were like, yeah, let's just chuck these jobs. We're out of here. Do you... 
When they say this is like this big catch and they were amazed and in awe of it, that was the biggest catch. That represented the biggest money, the biggest check, the biggest. It, it was like, are you kidding me? God gave them all of this money and it almost sank their boats. And then he said, hey, come follow me and I'll make you. Leave it on the beach and come follow me. And they did. Why would they do that? Because there was something stirring inside of them already that I believe was God that was the holy discontent the right kind of discontent, that they were saying, God, there's got to be more. And when God showed up and said, follow me, they were like, yes, we are out of here. We're following him. We're going. We're in. Sign us up. It's going to happen. And it did. And I believe that God prepares us sometimes by making us discontent. And I think it's, that's important. We've got to remember that God is always doing something in our lives. And, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus said in John 14, he said the Holy Spirit was given to us after Jesus left to speak to us, to tell us things that Jesus said, to remind us of everything that he said, and to reveal mysteries to us. But I believe that we serve a God that still speaks to us, and I think it's appropriate to say, hey, Lord, I need you to, to tell me. I need you to talk to me. I need you to open up my heart because I want to be here for you. It's what happened in my life. I was a contractor. I enjoyed owning my own company. I enjoyed making money. I enjoyed being at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. I enjoyed um, the government squandering money, but squandering it into my pocket. Other than that, that's terrible. They should stop squandering money. But I was, you know, they giving it away. I'm signing up for it. And so I was there working my tail off and making all kinds of money. And the Lord said, hey, I want you to go into the ministry. And I was like, oh, no. People in the ministry don't have fun. People in the ministry don't go fishing. I had my heart set on a pickup truck and a ski ray you know what that is? And I was going to the lake. Actually, we were up in Ohio, and we knew this lake called Cumberland down in Kentucky, and we would come down here in the summer with the Ohio Navy, and we would go to this lake, and it was awesome. I didn't ever know I was going to live in this state, but there it was. And the Lord put a discontent in my heart that there's got to be more to life than this, and I asked him what he wanted me to do, and the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go to Bible college. And so I ended up doing that, and here I am today 30 years later. I believe that God specifically gives his Holy Spirit to people who ask. Jesus said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, let me say this. A lot of times when I talk about the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of semantics involved because I believe in a book of Ephesians. Paul makes it perfectly clear to me that at a point that you believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the Son of God, and you, 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 you know this, Paul says in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, at that moment, before you said it out of your mouth, at that moment you were sealed with that gift, that precious gift that is the Holy Spirit of God. But there's a, there comes a time when we have to start letting him have his way in our lives. When he says, hey, I need you to, well, we'll get to that in a minute. I believe that. So we baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I do not believe that you have to have another baptism in the Holy Spirit. When people come up and say, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Say, yes, I was. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, I was baptized. When we baptize people, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, what about Acts 19? Those people had not been baptized by the Holy Spirit. They were baptized into repentance, only John's baptism. Go read it for yourself. Don't ever take my word for it. Read your Bible. But sometimes we wrestle with how to say, are you going to let the Holy Spirit have his way in your life? Because he's supposed to be moving you forward into the work of the kingdom of God. I believe that with all my heart. And growth takes place. We're talking about risks. Growth, growth takes place when I risk my contentment and step out 
doing the doing instead of learning the learning. You can learn all day long. Jesus only let his disciples learn for three years. How long have you been a Christian? When was the last time you just started walking around leading people to Jesus? Because they only did it for three and a half years. And then they started doing that thing, and it changed 12 guys, changed the whole world. See, it's time for us to step up and step out, okay? Growth takes place when I take risks and step out and start doing the doing instead of learning the learning. So let me ask you these questions real quick. When was the last time you bought a homeless person a meal? That's heavy on, on my own personal heart. When was the last time you tithed 10% to your local church? The scripture tells us to tithe 10%. Not in the New Testament. Yes, in the New Testament. Jesus said, remember the former, don't forget the latter. Okay? Okay, when was the last time you invited somebody to church? When was the last time you said, hey, you're not going to church anywhere. Why don't you come to church with us? I'd like to introduce you. You know, I just saw something on, online, and it said that 86% of the people that are in church were invited by a friend. That's how they got there. 86%. 86% of the people in your life are waiting on an invitation. When was the last time you shared your faith story with your children or with your family? When was the last time you said, I want to talk to you about Jesus? And they said, don't get weird. Get weird. Go ahead. Watch what happened. I got weird with my little sister. That sounds weird. Um, <laughs> My little sister is my oldest child, okay? That, that, there's exactly 10 years between us almost to the day. Uh, it's to the month, but anyway. And I kept pushing her about her need for Jesus, and my wife said, lay off. Just love her like Jesus loved her, and she surrendered her life to Jesus. And her whole cul-de-sac, 5,000 square foot houses, came to know Jesus so much that her pastor hauled her into the office and said, what the heck are you doing in your cul-de-sac? And she said, we love Jesus, and we love this church, and we love what's going on, and we got to tell people. When was the last time you were that excited about your relationship with Jesus that you needed to do that? Or maybe something simple. You want to grow, and you're saying, I'm not growing. I'm feeling dull. When was the last time you fasted? for seven days straight, just water. Talk to your doctor first. But when was the last time you fasted? Spiritual things happen when we do spiritual things, not when we complain about spiritual things, but when we do spiritual things. Fast. Sit down with your Bible at lunchtime and suppertime with your Bible while you're fasting and don't eat. And instead, write down whatever you feel like God is saying to you as you read the Bible and watch what happens to your spiritual well-being. These are the things that draw us close to God and begin to satisfy that discontent. Act on the opportunities, okay? Act on the opportunities. Last thing I want to share with you, let's get out of here. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's how we grab um, contentment. You've you got to delight yourself in Jesus. You will be discontent if you want a bigger boat, if you want a bigger dog, if you want a bigger guitar, if you want a faster car, if you want a bigger job, if you want more of an income, if you want, you'll always be discontent. But if you begin to delight yourself in the Lord, what happens is the Lord begins to change the desire of your heart. This is Psalm 37, 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. I'm not talking health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm saying... If you will delight yourself in the Lord, if you will get up in the morning and say, Lord, what do you want from me? It will change the desire of your heart, and you will then begin to see the desire of your heart be filled up because the desire of your heart will be God. I believe that with all of my heart. 
I want to encourage you that laying hold of contentment comes when we begin to do the doing and, and our desire is to delight ourselves in the Lord and not look good to the people around us. Do you, did you, when you got up this morning, did you have to go to church? Did you get up and go, fine, we got to go to church? See, I know it's just a word, got to, get, get to is a better one. We get to. We used to tell our kids that. We used to be so careful about saying it that way. No, we don't have to go to church, but you're the pastor. I know I get to go to church, but I would still treat you like this if I wasn't the pastor because I get to love Jesus, and I want you to too, and I want you to come with us, and it's going to be great, and you're going to come with us. You live in my house. Okay, well, there's that. Okay, those of you that call this particular church your home, you want to grow in your relationship to Jesus Christ. You ever taken time off and gone to a vineyard conference? You ever gone to a church conference? If you're not from here? one of the best things you can do for yourself. Go to a conference. You know that the Vineyard National Conference this year is going to be in Cincinnati, at the big Cincinnati Vineyard, the huge vineyard up there in Cincinnati. I want to encourage you to give it some thought. You want to be stimulated? You want to be challenged? You don't have to agree with everything that you hear, see, or do. Let it, let it push you to get into the Word and see what the Bible says about what the Bible says. But if you want to grow, put yourself in a place to grow. Let me ask you this about your, your marriage. Do you look forward to coming home and seeing your spouse after a long day? I don't know. I'd like to go hang out with the boys for a little bit. Really? I can't wait to get home. If you answered no to that question, let me ask you this. Why aren't you investing in your marriage the same way you invest in your 401k? Why aren't you pouring into that marriage and pouring into that? You know, I, I, I made a promise to my wife's dad when I asked him if I, well, when we were getting married, because we were getting married. Um, but anyway, that being said, that I was going to make her feel like the most important person in the world. Okay, at 23, I really didn't know what that meant, but I knew I was going to do it. And it's been my goal. And whenever things feel like they're just not quite right, we start really investing in each other. Let me, let me put it to you this way. If you're married and you're in this room, do you guys go on a date once a week? Because if you don't, I'm just going to say it out loud. Okay, shame on you. Dating once a week got you a spouse. Why would you quit doing that? Because you know when you were dating, you just couldn't wait to get together at the end of the week. Friday and we're going somewhere, going to dinner, going to the movie, going to the, you were going, going, going. Probably, you know, Friday and Saturday and Sunday, both you were probably broke by Monday morning. You were dating so much. Why quit? Why not invest in your marriage so much that you bring it up to something you're so content with? Let me ask you this about your job. Are you content with your job? Why don't you invest yourself in your job the way you did when you first took it and agreed to that salary and that position? Why don't you start investing yourself in that job and finding joy in it to where you bring the quality of your work up that, so much that they have to do something with you, like give you a raise. Or somebody's going to see you and say, hey, we see you over there doing this. We want to do, we want you to come work for us. Wow. What would happen if we begin to be content with where we are to the degree that we poured into it while we're there and wait and see what God's going to do? If we delight ourselves in the Lord by desiring His priority for our lives, we will find contentment. That's what Psalm 37, 4 says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your servants or of your, of your, your heart. What is your present circumstance? 
to some degree, you may not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and that's going to be a necessity. You were born separated from God. You were born in sin. You inherited it from Adam and Eve, and there's absolutely nothing that you can do about it. You can be as good as you want to. But if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're saying, but I want that kind of contentment, it comes with being surrendered to Jesus and then yielding your life to him. And it's not going to happen until you finally do that. It isn't. You can go to church all your life, all you want to, but until you surrender your life to Jesus, you are not going to be content inside. Because when you surrender your life to Jesus, like I said earlier, you get up and you say, what do you want from me now, Lord? What can I do? And you delight yourself in the Lord. And if you've never done that, then I want to, I, I just, I'm just going to do this to you this morning. I want you to come up and stand right here. That's all I want you to do. That's, that's it. If, you, if you've never stopped and surrendered your life to Jesus so that he can be the Lord and Savior of your life and you're going to join the work of the kingdom of God and you're saying it's time to do that, I've been going to church, don't worry about what anybody next to you thinks or, or what you want them to think. What you need to know is what does God think. Just come on up here, stand right here. We're just going to have somebody pray with you. You don't have to talk. You don't have to do anything. Are you in here this morning? And you need to do that. And if you're in here and you're living a life and you're like, I don't care if it's your job, your marriage, your kids, what, and you're just like, I am so discontent and I can't make it stop. I need some help because I am so unhappy with life right now. Can we pray for you? Because God doesn't want you leaving here the same way you came in. I believe in a God that wants to touch your life. He didn't let his son die on the cross so he could say, listen, I don't have anything else to say to you read it in the book. I read the book. But I believe that God wants to talk to you. Believe it with all of my heart. If that's you, can we pray for you? Why don't we come to our feet? We're going to go into this last song. And if you would just do me a favor, do yourself a favor and come up here and let us pray for you during this song. If there's something you want prayer for, if you just say, just pray for me, we will pray for you, okay? You just move while we're singing this song.